You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Uh, please open your Bibles to Psalm 42, or just follow along your family. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, all the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. What we've been doing this semester in RUF is we're going through uh, a topical series really on, on your relationships. Really, fo- we're focusing on what I think are your four fundamental relationships. Namely, your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people, and your relationship with the world. And for the first two weeks of the semester, we talked about our relationship with God. And the past couple, I guess last week, we started talking about our relationship with self, with yourself, and we're going to continue that tonight. And uh, what I want to talk about tonight is an aspect of related to yourself that I think is interesting. It's confusing. I think that's why it's important to talk about, but it's how you relate to your emotions, how you relate to this big part of you, which is the emotional part of you. And I think this is, this is worth talking about because when it comes to this subject, I, I think that it's really confusing. Religious people tend to suppress emotions. Ordinarily, religious communities uh, don't really recognize any emotion other than joy. If you feel anger, if you feel sad, if you feel lonely, there are some religious communities that can make you feel like uh, something's wrong with you for feeling those things. You're, you don't have enough faith. That's why you're feeling these things. And so often, ordinarily, religious communities tend to uh, want to suppress your emotions. And, but then you have secular people, on the other hand, that tend to do the exact opposite. That there's, that, you know, secular people tend to say, well, if you feel it, it would be wrong to suppress it. You need to express it. You need to get it out. What you feel is the most truest expression of who you are. You should get it out. You should express it. That's, that's who you are. And so there's this confusion. Well, which one is right? Should we suppress what we feel or should we express what we feel? Should, should we stuff it or, or should we, you know, let it rule us. And you might be surprised to hear that uh, I don't think the answer is either. 
And Psalm 42, which I have, in, which you have in front of you, I think is a, a really helpful passage because it helps you navigate these kind of uncharted waters, I guess, of how you relate to your emotions. And what I what I want to show you from this particular psalm is uh, that there are really there there are this psalm suggests that you do three things. It suggests number one that you listen to your emotions. Number two, that you question your emotions. And number three, that you surrender your emotions. So listen to them, question them, but also surrender them. And let me explain what I mean. Let's, let's begin by um, listening to your emotions. And what I, want, I want to just do a quick scan of this psalm with you to just look at how the author listens to his emotions. He is not, uh, you know, unlike the typical religious approach, he allows himself to feel his feelings. So let's look at it. Verse 1 and 2, he talks about his soul being thirsty for God. He's recognizing that he has emptiness. He, he, there's a dryness in him. There's a longing inside of him. Uh, verse 3, he says, my tears have become my food day and night. It's an interesting image. He's saying, I'm crying so much. It's like the, the only thing I'm eating are the tears dripping into my mouth. That's a lot of tears. Uh, Verse 5, he says twice that his soul is downcast, and he uses the word turmoil. You ever use that word to describe yourself? My soul is in turmoil. Verse 7, he says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's using this image of, of, a, of a raging sea where it's like the waves are so big, they're crashing over his head. It's like he's, he's saying, I'm drowning, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Verse 9, he uses the word that he's mourning. He's mourning. In verse 11, he repeats verse 5, talking about his soul being cast down and in turmoil. Now, <clears throat> here's what I want you to notice. He's listening to his emotions. He's allowing himself to feel them. He has given himself permission to feel what he's feeling, even if it feels unpleasant. And I don't think that many of us have given ourselves permission to do that. I think, if, I think most people have not given themselves permission to actually feel what they're feeling. And the real question is, why is that? Why do we resist going to this place? Because this is an intense place where this dude is. Why do we resist going to this place? Well, Maybe we'll just use me as an example, story from my life. When I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, I can't remember exactly how old I was, me and a friend of mine, we wanted to go fishing, and there was this little land, man-made kind of lake thing in our neighborhood, and so we got our fishing poles, and we drove our bikes out to this little pond lake thing, and we... And we kind of posted up, and we're kind of doing our thing on the, on the edge of the water. And I'm, this is a friend of mine. He was a grade older than me. I knew him from our neighborhood. And about 20 or 30 minutes into our fishing, there were these three guys that were up on the hill, and they started walking down towards us. And I didn't really pay much attention to them. I didn't know who these three guys were. They were older uh, kids, older students. I just figured they knew my friend. I didn't know who they were. And my back was towards them, and I was fishing. And before I knew it, they pushed me into the water. I fall into the water, and I, and I swim up really quick, you know, uh, trying to get air, and I hear them laughing and kind of walking off. And as I get out of the water and I'm soaking wet, I remember that I, I, I could not stop crying. 
And as an 11 or 12-year-old, I didn't really understand why, but this, this memory is so vivid to me now. As I've reflected on this, I understand now I was feeling this swirl of emotions. I felt shame because I had been uh, excluded. I felt hurt because I had been targeted. I'd been you know, violated in some way. I, I felt uh, anger. I felt sad. I, I felt alone. You know, my older friend was there, but it's not like he had stepped in and protected me. And as I'm crying, as I'm, I'm trying so hard to, to stop, uh, I don't remember exactly what my friend said, but he essentially said something like, Matt, why didn't, you, why didn't you back up? Like, I saw them coming, and so I stepped out of the way to kind of get out of their way because I knew what they were coming to do. And so now I felt blamed for what just happened. So now I'm feeling guilty because apparently I did something wrong. And so the, my, here's this big swirl of emotions in me, and to, to feel all of this, to feel all of these things, and to have somebody look at you and give that reaction, this is your fault why this happened. M- my big takeaway from this experience was that emotions are embarrassing. The fact that I was crying was a sign of weakness. The fact that I was... Um, that I couldn't stop crying. It was proof that something was wrong in me. That was my big takeaway. And my guess is you have either learned that lesson as well for at some point in your life, either explicitly or implicitly, you have been taught to avoid your emotions, to deny your emotions, to not listen to your emotions. Maybe even some of you have been told things like you're too emotional or quit being such a baby. Or you're too sensitive. You were shamed because you felt. And so, my guess is, if you're anything like me, you grew up with this feeling of like, I, my, I, can't, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. I've got to do something else with it. Because it's too embarrassing. It's too, uh, it's too whatever. It's too shameful. So... Uh, because we are unavoidably emotional, I mean, you cannot not feel, you've got to do something with your emotions, and if you don't listen to them, you've got to do something with them. So there's, I think there are three things that we typically do with them. The first strategy of how to get out from under this is that we deny, we, we, uh, we bury our emotions. We, this is strategy number one on how not to feel them, how not to listen. We just bury them, stuff them down, and hope and pretend that they will go away. And some of you, like me, if you've been doing this long enough for your whole life, you get to a point where you don't even know what you're feeling anymore. You get to a point where you're like, I don't even have the words to describe what's inside of me. Uh, my, my wife and I, we have this kind of running metaphor joke in our uh, marriage that we compare emotions to crayons. Like, a, you have a different emotion for each different kind of crayon. Do you, do you remember when you were younger and there was the kid that had, like, the 164-pack? It's like the, the, the multi-tiered stadium seating of, like, there's 40 different shades of red. My wife is like an emotional ninja. She can pick out that flavor of red to describe her particular emotion. She's like, I'm feeling this shade of hurt because it's mixed with this amount of shame and this amount of loneliness. And so she can pick it out. And for me, do you remember like when you were a kid and you'd go to like a restaurant and, the, and they would give you like the three crayons as a kid to play with? You got like the orange and the blue and the red. That's... 
that's kind of the extent of my ability to understand my emotions. Early on, <laughs> this was maybe not early on in our marriage, this may have been a couple of years ago. I remember we were, we were having a fight, we were having this conflict, and I remember communicating to her, I was saying, I feel something and it's not good. <laughs> that, was, that was how sophisticated my EQ was at the time. It's not a good feeling. But some of you, if you've buried your emotions long enough, you get to a point where you're like, I don't know what I'm feeling, but it's, an, it's not good. So that's option one. You just stuff it, bury it, hope it goes away. Option two is that instead of burying your feelings, you do your feelings. Here's what I mean. John Cox is a clinical psychologist. He's a, he's a marriage counselor. He's a speaker. He makes this distinction between feeling your feelings and doing your feelings. So let me give you a couple scenarios to kind of illustrate what this means. Let's do a fun, a fun scenario first. Let's say that there is a girl or a guy that you've kind of been digging on and talking with, and you're texting, and you're DMing, and whatever y'all do, and, uh, and so y'all are flirting, y'all been hanging out for a while, and, and you finally go out on the first date, and it's this amazing, awesome night. You go downtown, and you get Cruise Farm, and you, you come home. And as you're, as you're dropping her off, we'll do it from the guy's perspective. As you're, as you're dropping her off to her apartment, you go in for the kiss, and you have the first kiss, and time stands still. <laughs> and you feel in your soul this cascading rush of glitter and sparkles. And... Option one would be at that point, you say goodnight to her and you drive home and you feel elated and grateful and excited. Option two would be you go on the date, you go to Cruise Farm, you pick, you know, you're dropping her off and you kiss her and you blurt out, I love you. <laughs> one is feeling your feelings, the other one's doing your feelings. You see the difference? Okay, here's, here's a less fun example. Here's a less fun scenario. Let's say that uh, you're at home and all of your roommates are gone and you don't know where they are and they haven't communicated where they are and you realize, oh, I think they've went and planned a big thing without me. And you feel left out and you don't know where they are and so you start looking up on Instagram and they're posting pictures all together without you. Option one is you feel rejected, you feel alone, you feel sad, you feel hurt. Option two is when your roommates get home, you give them the silent treatment. And when they ask you what's wrong, you say nothing. (laughs) And then you slam the door on your way back to your room. You see the difference? One is feeling your feelings, the other is doing your feelings. When you lash out at your boyfriend or your girlfriend, when you rage, when you pout and throw the pity party and I'm a victim and everybody's against me, when you, when you react, that's actually you refusing to feel what you most deeply feel. You're doing your feelings so that you don't have to feel your feelings. That's option two, burying your emotions, doing your emotions, or really option, and option three is... Uh, numbing your emotions. And you know as well as I do, I mean, this is probably the most popular of all the options. I I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. I feel too overwhelmed, so I'll just self-medicate. And there's, as you know, a bazillion different ways that you can numb yourself from having to feel what you're actually feeling. 
Alcohol seems to be a popular choice among your demographic. Uh, there's, there's weed. There's cocaine. There's porn. There's Netflix. There's shopping. There's eating. There's uh, cutting. There's cleaning. Uh, there's schoolwork. There's busyness. There's uh, social media. Here's my point. We all have these different strategies to avoid actually having to listen and feel your emotions. And here's the question. Why do you think that is? Why, why, are we, why do we not want to feel what we're feeling? In fact, I've talked to many of you, and I feel the same way, that when you think about the, the possibility of going into counseling, which, by the way, I think everybody, in this, everybody that's breathing should be in counseling, but some of you are so afraid to go to counseling because you know you will actually be forced to have to look at what you're feeling, and that's terrifying to you. We resist listening to our emotions because it's painful. It's hard. To stop and to listen and to, and to, and to feel what you're really feeling is to get in touch with grief and sorrow. I mean, the Ava brothers describe this perfectly in their song, True Sadness. You know the song? Here's the chorus. It says, but I still wake up shaken by dreams. And I hate to say it, but the way it seems is that no one is fine. Take the time to peel a few layers and you will find true sadness. Isn't that incredibly insightful? It looks like, it seems to me, no one is fine. We're all a mess. But if you took the time and actually you peeled the layers to get down and feel what you're really feeling, you know what you would feel? Sadness. So we don't want to do it. We resist. We don't want to name what we're feeling. We don't want to listen to what we're feeling. But this is one of the keys to a full and a rich life. This is the first step. You've got to listen to what you're feeling. You've got to listen to your emotions. That's step one. But let's keep going. Step two. Don't just listen to your emotions, but you also have to question your emotions. Take a closer look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now, who's the author talking to in verse 5? He's talking to his soul. Isn't that interesting? He is able to get outside of himself and look at himself and say, self, why are you like that? You see what he's doing? He's able to get outside of himself and to ask himself a question. And I think this is incredibly insightful because unlike the typical secular approach, he doesn't let his emotions just dominate him and rule him and govern him. He has given himself permission to feel his feelings, but he has enough capacity to get outside of himself and to analyze what he's feeling. So why are you downcast? Why are you feeling that? Do you remember in uh, Star Wars, some of you do, when Obi-Wan Kenobi says, Luke, trust your feelings. Obi-Wan was wrong. (laughs) It is foolishness to trust your feelings. You should listen to them, yes, but to trust them. I mean, good grief, your emotions lie to you all the time. Your emotions trick you. Your emotions can be false. Let me give you an example. Earlier this summer, my wife Catherine was putting our five-year-old son, Reed, down to bed. 
And he had been staying up late at night reading books. And so Catherine was like, no books tonight. You got you to go to bed, buddy. You're not getting enough sleep. And so she took the book away. And he felt so wronged and violated by that and hurt by that. He said to her, quote, Mom, you never give me anything good. <laughs> Let's analyze that statement for a second. Mom, the one that birthed me and gave me life, the one that feeds me and provides me with, oh, I don't know, water and shelter and nourishment and love, you never give me anything good. It's crazy. But his emotions felt like that's what was true. But it's not true. Your emotions can lie to you. You've heard of false guilt. You can feel guilty about stuff that you shouldn't feel guilty for. Your conscience is lying to you. And the converse, the, the converse is actually also true. You can be up to your eyeballs in sin, and you can feel like it's not wrong. And it most definitely is wrong and sinful. There's a way that Christians trust their feelings and don't question their feelings that I think is really dangerous. Let me give you uh, my thought here. <clears throat> Let's say that you go to Passion or you go to Fall Conference this weekend or you go to a camp this summer or whatever and you just get totally on fire for Jesus and you feel really close with him. But then you leave the camp or you leave the conference or you know, leave whatever and you come back here to like normal life and you like get in a rut and you've got responsibilities and class and you've got personal struggles and you've got roommate struggles and you don't have the feels anymore. Like all the zeal and all the passion has gone away and it can start to feel like God is distant from you. It can start to feel like God's maybe even disappointed with you. Like what's wrong with me? What happened to me? You know, there's a, there's a hymn that we sometimes sing here at RUF. It's a 150-year-old hymn. It's called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. You know this one? It sounds, I don't know, it sounds like a, My hope is built on nothing less. You know that one? But there's a, there's a, there's a line in it that goes, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. You know what, you know what a frame is? This is a 150-year-old way of talking, but... Your frame is how you're feeling at any given moment. It's like your frame of mind, your frame of reference. And they're saying, I dare not trust how I feel at any given moment. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. If you look to your feelings to be the thing that helps you figure out whether or not you are okay with God and God's okay with you, it is not going to lead to peace. It is only going to lead to more and more anxiety because your emotions are fickle. They go up and down and up and down and up and down. So a Christian says, I don't trust my zeal. I don't trust whether or not I'm on fire or lukewarm. I don't trust my feelings. I trust Jesus because my heart is so fickle and Jesus is not. Do you know how to question, do you know how to question your emotions? Do you know how to get outside of your emotions and question them? Early on in our marriage, it's like maybe year two of our marriage, uh, Catherine, I had, I had eaten some food, I had the dishes, and I put them on the, uh, on, on the counter next to the sink instead of putting them in the dishwasher. And Catherine very kindly, very gently, politely said, hey, Matt, would you do me a favor? When you finish using a dish, can you rinse it off and put it in the dishwasher? I snapped. 
how dare her? I raged and I lost my temper and 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 then after the the anger went down, then I then I pouted and I and I and I played the victim and I just felt so bad. And my wife is like, "What have I married? What what is wrong with him?" And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I went on a walk with my friend later that. Uh, that day, and I was like, I don't know why I reacted like this. And, and he started asking me questions, and he, he said, what did you hear her saying when she said, you know, will you put the dishes in the dishwasher? And I had to think about it, and I said, I, I think I heard her saying, Matt, you're a bad husband. You're a bad person. And so it took my friend asking me questions to kind of get underneath, oh, that was pressing on some wound in me, some bruise in me that I always have to be affirmed. I always have to be told I'm doing a great job. And when there's this even the slight form of, of correction, I'm blowing it up in my head to hear this kind of massive assault against my personhood. I had to get outside of what I was feeling to question it. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to get outside of your emotion, to not just let it dominate you, but to have the capacity to step outside of it and say, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you feeling, why did you react like that? Listen to your emotions, question your emotions, but really step three is the most important. And this is the last one. The last step is you have to surrender your emotions. Surrender your emotions. Uh, I want you to notice that the psalmist the guy that wrote the psalm, he isn't feeling his emotions just in a vacuum by himself. Did you notice that this is a psalm, which means this was sung? This is a song that he wrote. He's, he's not just listening to his heart. He's not just questioning his emotions. He's singing his emotions. He's expressing them in the context of other people. And we're actually going to talk about more about that here in a couple weeks when we talk about friendship. But what I want to focus on tonight is how he also processes his emotions in the presence of God. He surrenders his emotions to God. Look at verse 1. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. He is recognizing that he has deep, unmet longings inside of him. My soul is thirsting, it's panting, and he is coming to terms with the reality that he can't meet those longings, and nothing else can. He's getting in touch with his vulnerability, his powerlessness, his unmet longings, and what does he do with it? He brings them to God. I am empty, I am dry, I am longing. Nothing will satisfy me, so I bring it to you. In fact, this is perfectly captured in verse 5. This is my favorite verse of this whole thing. If you have a pencil or a highlighter, just circle and underline this thing in your Bible. It says this, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. I am cast down, and the result, the consequence is therefore I turn my attention to you. I remember you, God. And this is one of the great paradoxes of the gospel. When you get in touch with your powerlessness, with your helplessness, with your pain, that is actually when you're in the best position to connect with God. You see how backwards this is? This is so counterintuitive to how we think. Christianity says that weakness is actually the way to strength. 
But we so often get it backwards. We're like, if we want to connect with God, we think the the way that we do that is we've got to stop sinning. I've got to get it together. I've got to button up. I've got to be more disciplined. I've got to try harder. But it's so much different. It's, It's so counterintuitive. You will most connect with God when you get in touch and you're actually free to admit how scared you are, how hurt you are, how alone you feel, how guilty you feel. If you, if, you are, if you allow yourself to come to terms with that part of you, you're in prime position to connecting with God. I talked about this uh, last year, if you were here, and uh, it's too perfect to talk about, to not talk about it again, but the movie Inside Out, which is a, about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about tonight. There's this amazing scene in the movie Inside Out with uh, the character Bing Bong. You remember Bing Bong? It's this great character. He's kind of this imaginary, made-up kind of thing, and he loses this rocket that is really meaningful to him. It's, it's, it has so much significance in it, and he loses this rocket, and it's gone forever. He'll never get it back, and so he sits down, and he's just completely undone, devastated. And Joy is one of the characters. She's like the, she represents joy, the emotion joy, She's voiced by uh, Amy Poehler, and so she kind of has that kind of upbeat, fun, kind of crazy uh, attitude, and so she's like trying to cheer Bing Bong up, and she's like, hey, it's okay, we can fix this, and she's like making silly faces and like trying to tickle him, and like he's not mudging. He's just sitting there just like in a daze, just crushed, and up comes, um, is it Sadness? Is that her name? Sadness. You'll never guess what emotion she represents. She's blue. She's voiced by Phyllis from The Office. Just perfect, perfect voice, you know, decision there. And so sadness comes up and sits down next to Bing Bong. And here's what she says. She says, I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved and it's gone forever. And Joy is like, what are you doing? You're going to make him feel worse. What are you doing? And as she's saying this, as she's sitting down and just feeling what he's feeling, he starts talking. And she reaches out and she puts her hand on his knee and she says, I am so sorry. This must really hurt. And he embraces her and she embraces him and they just weep together. And after a few minutes of them just holding each other, weeping, and, you know, you're weeping watching this you know, two-minute YouTube clip. <laughs> she, uh, he kind of gets up and he wipes the tears away and he says, okay, I'm fine. I'm good now. And he gets up and he walks away and Joy is like totally dumbfounded. She's like, how did that work? What just happened? And what is so unbelievably brilliant about that scene and profound about that scene is they, they have understood if you have an experience where somebody sees your pain and, and they don't run, but they stay with you, somehow that is healing. To just have another person come and be with you and sit with you and cry with you, somehow that heals you deep on the inside. Do you know what God's favorite preposition in the Bible is? It's the word with. 
The Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will be with you always. Psalm 23, uh, David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Revelation 21, verse 3, says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You know, at Christmas, we start doing this weird thing. We start referring to Jesus as Emmanuel. You know what the word Emmanuel means? It's a Greek word. Sorry, it's a Hebrew word. It means God with us. Christmas is the celebration that God has come down to be with us in our pain and in our sorrows in the person of Jesus. And so isn't it really interesting when the Old Testament talks about Jesus in the book of Isaiah, it refers to him as, quote, a man of sorrows well acquainted with grief. God has come down to be with us in the person of Jesus, and he came so far that he wanted to join in your pain and your suffering that he went all the way to the cross, which shows you that he didn't leave. He enters in fully with you. He doesn't stay on the sidelines and lob care packages to you. He comes down all the way in it with you and feels it with you. And and here's the great mystery. Surrendering your emotions. And what I mean by surrendering your emotions is this. Bringing all of you to all of Jesus. Really, that scene from Inside Out is really just a reenactment of Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? You You are downcast, so therefore I remember you. And I know that you are with me. It, it. The real mystery here is, and I don't, I don't fully understand this, if you bring that deep part of you, your pain, your sadness, your shame, that deep, deep stuff inside of you, if you bring that to Jesus and allow yourself to feel his embrace, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his tenderness towards you, the fact that he sits with you and he doesn't leave, that his love will not let you go, that he weeps with you in that place, somehow that heals you. Somehow somehow that does something on your insides. And you will live a deeper and a richer and a fuller life with God in this world as a result of it. But I, I know that that's confusing and that's hard and we don't want to do that. I mean, Netflix and bourbon and sex is just so much easier than what I'm talking about. But if you want a deep and full and rich life with God in this life, then listen to your emotions, question your emotions, and surrender your emotions to Jesus, the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. That's the invitation. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. You have not abandoned us. But you have chosen to come down and to meet us in the very places where we are hurting, where we feel raw, where we feel confused, where we feel overwhelmed. You have chosen to come down and to connect with us at that level. And I pray, Father, that you would, maybe for some of us, as we're wrestling with this and thinking about this, I pray that you would give us 
renewed imagination and renewed faith to even be able to picture you sitting down with us, wrapping your arms around us, reassuring us that you will not let go. And you have a love towards us that will never let us go. And I pray that, that would, we would actually be able to taste that at some level in our soul. Thank you for tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.